Hey everyone, this is Josh back with Cardboard Chronicles and today I'm joined by Mike. Uh, Mike's a collector of Michael Jordan cards and we're going to talk NBA, Michael Jordan, collecting, uh, just a lot of fun stuff. So why don't you kick us off, Mike, and tell us about yourself. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, if it wasn't for you, I would probably would have remained in the shadows. But you're the, uh, the Howard Stern of basketball card, uh, card podcast. So thanks a lot. Yeah, for Appreciate sure, man. Thanks for, thanks for joining. Of course. So uh, my story is started collecting as a kid, pretty much lived in the card shops. I'm from Orlando, Florida, and we had a card shop called uh, Big League Sports Cards. And they became really famous for having this event called Pack Wars. And that's, it was essentially they'd uh, open up wax boxes and you could buy a pack for a dollar, two bucks, and the place would be packed. They'd have Hooters girls serving Papa John's pizza, it was crazy, and the guy ended up becoming like a, a, a car shop owner, became a rep for Tops, and I think he's still doing stuff down there, but I haven't, I haven't been in a while. So that kind of like brought me in like the showmanship of this car shop owner and having these, like not having to buy these expensive wax boxes so I could you know, buy single packs. And I would say my collecting peaked maybe in 96, 97. Uh, it was during Kobe Bryant's rookie year, and it kind of tapered off through 99 and I kind of went dark until 2004 when the Magic drafted Dwight Howard. Kind of picked up the collecting again, collected through the championship run and then went dark again after he left and then picked up maybe 2017 when my discretionary income uh, came into play and then was like blown away with all the prices. And so from you know there on out, I was like, well, I have this extra money, kind of want to get back into collecting, pick up these cards that I couldn't afford as a kid. And that's kind of set off this like downward uh, giant snowball of collecting um, to, you know, to today. So you're, you're primarily focused on, on Michael Jordan today, but you used to collect Dwight Howard, right? I collect a lot of Dwight Howard. I was big on Sebastian Telfair. I was trying to ride the high school players. Uh, coming out of, uh, into the draft. So from Kobe to Jermaine O'Neal to Kevin Garnett, Dwight, Telfair, that was my focus. And then, because I couldn't afford Jordans as a kid, but now things have changed and it's like, it's a whole different world out there, uh, as we all know. So are you collecting like all, all things Jordan or is there something specific that you focus on? Because it's pretty, pretty wide there. Yeah, the Jordan market's pretty wide. I focus on uh, playing card years. I really like uh, the Fleer Skybox related issues. You know, shout out to the podcast uh, that you did with uh, Arena Design. That was incredible. I mean, she, you know, she's she's become the, I don't even know what word to describe her as, but she'll be bearing that torch forever, um, whatever title we want to give her. The Godmother. Um, so, yeah, she's incredible. <laughs> Wow. Hopefully there's I a follow at some point. I I love how much attention that one is starting to get recently. Just just like her coming out more and showing more stuff. It's been awesome. Yeah, she's got um, a wealth of too that I'm sure she it's hard to share in one podcast. It would probably take, you know, a ten hour documentary series. Yeah. I definitely want to at least get her husband on and then maybe do a part three with, with both of them or something. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um so why don't you jump in and just start showing off some cards, give people a taste of some of the Jordan stuff that you do have. Okay. Well, I'd like to 
show off this first one, which uh, was, uh, I got a trade from our friends at uh, House of Jordans. And if, if you're the Howard Stern of podcasts, I would call him the Zach Lowe of podcasts, <laughs> the analytical takes. I really like that analogy. That's a really good analogy. Yeah, so you guys have a nice one-two punch going. I'll be Bill Simmons. He can be Zach Lowe. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's the really good. Yeah, because Bill Simmons is the, uh, he's like the fire starter. Yeah. He's going to poke the bear. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, this one, this one to me is, is kind of the uh, apex of Jordan inserts. For me, uh, just, you know, when it was released, it's, it's die cutting, it's iconic aesthetic and I think it's gotten it's due but um, I had to let go of a really nice card to get this one but it was it was well worth it in the long run so this is probably my my favorite card of all time uh, this one right here has found a special place in my heart and I think it's it's somewhat underrated because it's it's a true serial numbered base card but it's, it could be considered a parallel because of the whole confusing row three, two, one, you know, I'm not really sure what it is. Um, but I think, it's, I think its value gets hurt because there's a legacy uh, edition that's serial number to 150. So those two kind of cannibalize each other. But it's, it's a very cool card and, and one, you know, I think it's the only base card that's somewhat that's technically also parallel that's serial numbered so it's kind of in this gray area but one of my favorites um this one i don't know if you've ever owned the, the penny of this but the scoring kings plus a very nice rare parallel that's you know upon first glance hard to overlook but really hard to find and really uh, condition sensitive are you big on the grading uh like do you try to focus on mint or better stuff I tend to focus on just mint. So, for example, this Hot Shots 9.5, as much as I love this card, I would, in a heartbeat, if I could trade this, trade this down, if you will, for a PSA 9 and then take the you know, additional funds that I got from that and reinvest that into another Jordan that I really liked. So it's kind of a, you know, an ebb and flow of, of collecting, as you know. Yeah. And PSA 9 in particular is kind of what I like. But you know with grading, like you can find a PSA 9 that looks like a 10 or looks like an 8 or a PSA 8 that looks like a 9. Yeah. So I try and ignore the grade as much as possible and focus on the condition of the card. But, you know, if it's that sweet spot of it looks like a 9 and it's a 9, that's what I'm after. PSA 9 is like the perfect sweet spot for collecting in my opinion. It's just like you can get such nice cards that you know huge discounts in a lot of cases and it's great for building a collection yeah i agree sometimes the the gems are a little overpriced yeah the nines can be just priced right and then if you can get a raw card that looks like a nine you know great and get the grade you're looking for yeah i feel like a nine is the collector's card and a 10 is the investor card yeah yeah, I mean, I can't imagine going for tens for all these cards that I really love. I just, I'd have half the collection probably. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because you can show off like kind of the depth of your collection with nines, and you can you can go a lot further, like you said. Yeah. Um, so 
what how does uh, how do you relate basketball to your card collection do you do you watch a lot of basketball do you enjoy collecting to better connect yourself to basketball how do you feel about that yeah i do basketball has kind of been a, a crutch for my career um started off when i was a kid where in high school i would skip school and i'd come back home to watch nba tv you know i wasn't hanging out smoking cigarettes i was watching game four of the 95 NBA finals. And that's kind of just evolved as I've gotten older and um, it's turned into a career to the point now where I don't think I, a night doesn't go by where I don't watch a basketball game or, you know, all day really is spent, you know, on the side looking at cards, reducing work productivity, but it's, uh, you know, following box scores and watching highlights and watching the magic. It, it definitely keeps those two things uh, symbiotic with each other. Collecting. What do you do for work? What do you, you, do, you work for, what do you do for work? I work for a, right now I work for a, a t-shirt company and we have an MBA license and a player's license as well. So um, I'm constantly working with the teams just, just at the team shop that's at the stadium to come up with assortments that are exclusive to them. So mm-hmm. you live in Phoenix, right? Yeah. If you go to Phoenix, if you go to the Suns game, you'll see there's a, the brand is called Homage. We have these really cool uh, NBA Jam t-shirts. And so with the Suns, we have Steve Nash, Amari. I don't know why we came out with this. I, I, in fact, I, I'm going to send you one. But we have a Penny Jason Kidd NBA Jam t-shirt. Oh, hell yeah. I think they played maybe like half a season together. Yeah. <laughs> before, uh, you know, Penny's injuries took, its, took their toll. But I think I've seen those shirts on like Instagram ads. Yeah, we might have targeted you. I'm not. I'm sorry about that. No, that's awesome. I'll, those I'll those shirts are sick. <laughs> those shirts are awesome. So, uh, I did hear you used to work for uh, UCF basketball. Yeah, that was quite an experience because when I was enrolling at UCF, I had no awareness that Jeffrey Jordan, uh, Michael's oldest son, was set to attend and transfer from Illinois because one of his friends. Uh, had signed with UCF and then when I got there uh, Marcus also signed that was his his youngest son so throughout the season um, both both like Marcus and Jeff Rawson by the way really down to earth uh, Marcus has a sneaker store in Orlando called Trophy I think it's called Trophy Room where he has a bunch of un like released photos of his family that he has all over the wall and he gets exclusive releases with Jordan shoes but um, his dad, the goat, would show up on occasion, and you know you would know like earlier in the day because security would be at every door around the gym. Uh, the coach Jordan would come in and talk to the coaches, and sometimes he would bring his friends. He brought uh, Charles Oakley once. He brought uh, Modern Shot a couple times, and you would just go in the office and he'd have his leg, you know, his feet kicked up on the table talking to the coach about the game ahead or you know whatever. So, and at the game, it was even crazy because all people would care about is what Jordan would be doing during the game. So anytime Marcus or Jeff would score the ball or make a turnover or whatever, everyone would turn to the, the uh, press box or skybox where he was sitting to see what his reaction would be. And he would just sit there and show no reaction, either to a good play or a bad play. He was very professional about it. Did you work for what, – what, what did you do? What was your capacity with the basketball team? I was just a student manager, shagging rebounds, you know, four hours a day, 
you know, for practices. And then if guys wanted to come in after class or whatever, you know, you'd show up at 10 p.m. and, you know, rebound for an hour. And you so have like Gatorade and towels and all that stuff. Did you ever have any encounter with, with the goat? Yeah, I got to meet him one day after practice. They finally decided to arrange like a group meet. So we all lined up in a row, uh, one at a time. And then when I was five people away, I was fine. Four people away, my heart started to beat a little faster. Three, two, one. And then my heart was racing and I panicked. And it's embarrassing to say, but the only thing I said to him was, my name is Mike too. And he goes, he goes, you look good out there, kid. Keep up the hard work. And that was it. <laughs> and I went out to the the common area where everyone else was at behind closed doors. And we all were just like, we, you know, shaking our hands, doing this. Like we couldn't believe it. Like we'd see him from afar, but for the first time ever, we got to meet. And it was, what did you want to say to him? I don't even know. I, it was like an impromptu meeting after practice. We had no like heads up like I did with this podcast. So there was no prep to meeting the go, but it was a nice uh, present from the coaching staff. And who knows, maybe that's one reason why, you know, I've, I've gravitated towards Jordan in my, you know, like third life of collecting. So you didn't have any Jordan cards at that time when you met him? This has been since then? Oh, yeah. I had zero cards at the time. That's crazy, man. Um, so what else about basketball? Is there like... Is there any other players you'd want to collect or is it just Jordan because he's the goat? Like what, what other like interests do you have within the hobby? Well, I, I really like shooting guards. So I've dabbled in Kobe. I just think they have, you know, for whatever reason they have, they tend to have the most appeal. And I think in the long term, fans tend to appreciate them more. Um, you know, especially if they're high flyers and, you know, one championship. So, you know, Kobe's in that category. I've, I've begun to collect him. I think another guy who I'm going to start to collect is Dwayne Wade. And I think, you know, due to recency bias, his cards are undervalued. If you go back and like, what his cards were worth when he was at his peak with the big three, they were worth a lot more. So I think, I don't know what, you know, there's some sort of maturation period from when a guy's career tapers off, you know, maybe he doesn't have the best the last two years of his career. And then people tend to appreciate him you know, over the long term. So I think he'll fall into that category. Other than that, I don't really have any other players I collect. But again, like the whole arena design thing makes me want to pick up one of every card they design, even if it's a player I don't collect, even if it's like a Shaq card or a Matumbo card, just to appreciate, you know, their art, more or less. Yeah. It's going to be tough with all the Jordan stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's PMG Red will never be in my collection. So I might have to settle for a, a, a Ronnie Cycle or somebody. Yeah, the PMG Red Jordan is like getting a little bit out of reach for most people. It's it's just so expensive. Yeah. Uh, the Dwayne Wade Nugget is really good. I hope people are paying attention to the Dwayne Wade stuff. Uh, I, I, he's got to be one of the most undervalued like historical players for cards. I think, especially that he had that time of period, that period of time where he was just like a solo artist, you know, like Shaq was there, but he was basically their, their number one guy. And he was like dominating people kind of only remember the LeBron years, but he was like a fantastic player in a championship team for a long time. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, your guy Penny would, would have gotten there had an opportunity for the injuries, but there's still such an appreciation for his cards, despite his shortened career. 
I think, yeah. you know, his, his, the, the marketing with Nike and just the nineties, the it's like a perfect recipe for, you know, for guys like Penny and Grant. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, Dwayne Wade's a good one. That's interesting. So what about like, uh, what's your, like, uh, let's just say, what's your Mount Rushmore of basketball? Like what's your top four for hobby, hobby related? This is something I think about a lot uh, for, you know, for whatever reason, just, I like to, instead of top five, you know, my thing's always Mount Rushmore because everyone wants to do a top five, but when you got to trim one, it makes it a little more tougher. But I think in this case, Jordan, I think LeBron has already cemented himself as, as a Mount Rushmore uh, player for basketball cards. I think Kobe's there now, too. He's, you know, he's certainly we've seen a surge in his, his prices. And then for the fourth guy, I'd love to get your opinion on this. You know, I think it, there's so many candidates between Duncan, you know, because of his rookie year being in the 90s and what yeah. titles he's, and he's in those, like, key releases that are so highly pursued. Um, I think you can make a case for Shaq, uh, Kevin Garnett. It's, you know, it's too bad Larry Bird and Magic Johnson didn't play in the 90s because I'm sure they would have some pretty sweet cards. They'd be worth a lot. Uh, Luka is like, if you want to count current players, he's probably that guy now. But um, the more I think about it, I think that fourth guy is up for grabs. I don't think we have one yet. I think it's yet to be chiseled. Yeah. Can I, can I give you a couple other names that come to my mind? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Curry. Ooh, I think Curry is really, really great for hobby. He's an exciting player. People relate to him. He's got really cool cards and he's kind of like the Panini only guy of that group. You know, he's like the Panini representative. Uh, the other one is Wilt. Cause I feel like there's not a lot of representation of vintage stuff in there. So it'd be cool to have Wilt. Um, Maybe Dennis Rodman, Allen Iverson. Those guys are are big for a hobby. I think, I think Curry is the best chance. I think so. Too. Thinking about it a little bit more. Yeah, but he's been his prices are kind of dipping just because he's been out and off people's radar. But the Luca one is interesting. It's obviously fresh. Uh, that one's going to take some more time. Yeah, he's too fresh. He's too fresh. But I think Curry, like his career, if his career ended today, he'd have the accolades. Uh, you know, to warrant being on Mount Rushmore. And 10 years from now, I'm sure the prices will reflect that. His NTRPA is definitely highly sought after. It's a big card. Yeah. It's a monster card. Um, So you mentioned to me there's like a thread on Blowout that you really enjoyed. Uh, So it seems like you have an appreciation kind of for more of the uh, different styles of cards that are out there, not just like the high end cards that most people talk about. Can you talk about that? Like what is what it is about the different like sets and releases that interest you and some of the, like their factoids that come out? Yes. Yeah, so this, uh, this thread that you just alluded to, I'm not sure who the originator of the thread is, but it's called sharing the Admiral. And basically this person has broken down every single product release um, including breaking down the, the inserts that David Robinson is in. And it's just, it's just really beautiful and eloquently written breakdown. Um, it's not like surface level stuff. He's really gone and deep and posted pictures. I encourage everyone to read it. If they, it's, it's almost like reading a really well-written article and he's, he's kind of chronicling the history of every David Robinson card. And, you know, a lot of those cards also had, uh, you know, Jordan was releasing those sets and 
Shaq, Penny, like all of your favorite players. So if you want to, if you're looking for a good read, I highly recommend reading it. I just stumbled upon it one night and it was like a, a book I couldn't put down for whatever reason. But, um, you know, there's, I'm sure there's someone out there who would, who would, I implore, someone, this is a challenge, someone to do that for Jordan cards, to break down every Jordan card um, in the same manner that this, this person did. But so there's a lot of interesting collection. It was Frisbee Steve. I actually met him at National. Oh, uh, nice. Super nice guy. Really, really great collector. And he just loves David Robinson cards. So, uh, yeah, in that thread, he just kind of like details out a bunch of awesome cards that he has and gets really in depth. So it's really, it's a great read. The Jordan card one would be interesting. I feel like that would be a great like book almost. Seriously. Like I, if that was a coffee table book, I'd buy it. <laughs> There's so many like great sets from those nineties that <clears throat> not a lot of people know the details on that. So to have those is pretty cool. And you like you said, you can kind of relate the David Robinson facts to your player, right? Like if the, the details are more about the sets. Yeah. Um, so you have some other Jordan cards to show. What else you got? Yeah, there's there's one thing I wanted to to bring up, and um, I'll just use these as a case study. But so like when we when we look at the scarcity of a card, I think one thing that probably gets overlooked the most is if it's a hobby release, if it's a retail release, or if it's a hobby retail release. So a lot of times we'll just look at the odds. So, for example, two of my favorite cards also happen to be part of this case study. But so the '96 uh, Thrill Seekers design, graded PSA nine, which uh, you know they say it's lenticular, which I'd never heard of that word until I started collecting collecting uh, cards. But so this card is came out in '96. It's one in every 240 hobby packs only. It wasn't a retail release, and the total. Um, pop is 139 between PSA and BGS. Conversely, this is the 1997 version, um, which, you know, it's also fun to like chronicle the evolution of a set, completely different from the 96 release, but this one came out in uh, 97, a little bit harder to find, one in every 288 packs, and it's a hobby uh, retail release and total pop between the two, PSA and BGS, is 202. So this one, while easier to pull, um, was only released in hobby packs, and there's roughly 60 less graded in the yeah. market. So it's a much harder card to find. I think that sometimes gets overlooked, um, you know, when looking at scarcity and, you know, just trying to comb through all these different releases, you know, throughout the years, because that's, it's not, a, it's not much of a thing anymore. In my opinion, like, you know, the inserts hobby versus retail as it was back then, um, you know, retail was kind of like looked at, looked at as being an inferior product back in the nineties, but there's a lot of great retail only inserts. So like if you come through an old Beckett and you look at some of your favorite inserts, you'll realize that some of them are retail only, which, you know, you can only get like 7-Eleven or Walmart. And those are much, much harder to find sometimes than, you know, the ones that were released via hobby. So just is little there, things like that, that that are interesting. So does that change how you collect it all? Like, do you, you like to look at what they initially came out of and whether it was hobby or retailer or both? Is that that's something that changes how you collect? I think I still collect for the aesthetic. That's the number one factor. 
but it's just interesting to note these little details, you know, when, you know, if I have 500 bucks to spend and I, there's two cards that are going for, you know, around the same price, um, you know, which one am I going to look, look for them, you know, first, just sometimes determining factors, you know, when the duty calls. What are some like random retail only ones that you can think of? I don't I haven't really researched any of this kind of stuff. So like the 90, I don't have it for show, but like 96 core masters, which mm -hmm. is the acetate, another word I didn't never use, in, but you know, for collecting cards, uh, that one was a retail only release. And I think that was one in every 180. Um, there's like a dish and swish from 97 uh, hoops is retail only. So, you know, like uh, if I remember correctly, we didn't collect retail, you know, as a kid, I focused on hobby. It was fun to go to the, the hobby shop and collect the hobby releases. So most of the retail releases were overlooked um, from my perspective, because I didn't collect, you know, the retail packs, but yeah. the more you dig into it, there's the information never ends with things that we may have missed. There's this information that, you know, is out there. Yeah. Overlooked. And some of these like hoops cards, there's like some really nice hoops uh jordan parallels and inserts that you know came out of retail only and that kind of stuff was like a buck a pack at walmart back when we were kids and now some of these are like really highly sought after they're condition sensitive because of the nature of how they were released and like kids buying them and stashing them away so there's there's a lot of interesting tidbits towards like the, the retail only i think yeah like slam bands is probably the one of the most sought after jordan cars and you know it's it's so rare because they're so hard to find because it was a retail release. And like you said, mainly ripped by kids who, you know, it was a shiny card for them, but who knows, you know, where it ended up. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be drawn from that. Even with modern stuff, like there's some, there's some like products that come out that kind of slide under the radar from Panini that I think long-term could be, could be ignored today and, and sought after in the future just based on aesthetic or rarity or, you know, different, different things like that, like retail only or hobby. And, you know, everyone's only paying attention to prism and, and uh, national treasures. Like there's definitely more out there. So it's kind of interesting to try to uh, apply it to what we have today. Yeah. Imagine if you knew the backstory to the thrift store, LeBron uh, Chrome gold refractor, like how it ended up at, at the thrift store auction. Yeah. Like that's probably an awesome story and it's in its own right. Yeah. Do you do any modern product? Uh, I'm trying to, it takes, it's, it hasn't hooked me yet, but I think I like the, the revolution stuff. Um, it's, it's great to look at online. I've never purchased anything. So I think I got to make the purchase first, see how it goes. And then, you know, if I like it, I, cause I need something that the new stuff does look really good. Panini either gets a good rap or a bad rap, depending on who you ask. But, you know, if you can, like, sift through all this stuff that they produce and find what you like, I think that's what I have to do. I just got to find what I like. There's a lot of stuff hey, out there. Any players? Is Chris trying to get you on Luca? <laughs> no, I've floated some players his way. I, like, once a week, I'll think of a player that I want to collect. Like, I think last week it was Donovan Mitchell. This week it's it'll probably change. But... I don't know. I think he's, he wants to corner the Luca market. Yeah. So you, you so. seem very like thoughtful in who you collect. You don't just like start collecting every week. You're, you're sort of like sitting back a little bit waiting. Like 
you just got into Kobe, you're thinking about Wade and you're not really jumping in. Is that, is that something you intentionally do where you're kind of more thoughtful about what you collect? Yeah, it's, it's very intentional, but you know, like LeBron is, is a guy I'd, I'd like to collect as well. I just love guys who've, you know, reached the, the top of the mountain with, with their playing careers. And, you know, a hundred years from now, they'll be mm-hmm. mentioned every time when people talk about NBA basketball. Um, so it's like, it's hard. I don't really like to, it's hard for me to forecast current players or prospect guys. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. When I, it was, when I was a kid, it was much easier. I loved Sean Kemp and Grant Hill and Alonzo Mourning and Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal. But as I've gotten older, just the stuff I love, I want to go back and get that first, I think, before jumping into the new stuff. I, I think that's what my, my hobby uh, fate is. Yeah, we'll I, I would, I would uh, hope people pay attention to sort of like your, your slower approach to it. I, I think that's the right way to do it. If you just jump in, you can get burned easily and kind of get tired of, you know, all your different players you're collecting and you just kind of like fizzle out. So I, I personally appreciate how you're approaching it. It's certainly overwhelming. Just if, if I type in Panini and Donovan Mitchell, I have no idea what's what, even though I feel like I, I'm familiar with every release from the 90s. It's super overwhelming to jump into the new stuff. And I feel like it has to be the same for someone who collects new stuff that's trying to jump into the 90s, trying to figure out what's what. Yeah, you can't, you can't know it all, so you kind of have to pick your, pick your spots. Uh, I do have a fun question. So you and I are both in this Instagram chat with Michael Jordan collectors. I don't know why I'm in this chat, but that's a different question. Uh, I haven't really talked to anyone other than, other than Chris about it. So I kind of want to just get your take on like what you, th- what you think of the chat and just kind of like, uh, you know, what you get from it and how much you enjoy it. Well, so, you know, you're, you've been a big influence in, in my uh, um, public display of, you know, my collecting. Um, and Chris has been as well. So Chris was one of the first guys that I started uh, chatting with about Jordan cards uh, probably a couple of years ago. And I think it might've been his idea to form this, this Jordan chat um, that he deemed like not necessarily the top, like the most expensive collectors, but the ones that he thinks, you know, brings the most insight, unique insight and, you know, adds to the overall collective conversation of, of Jordan cards and you, you certainly deserve a spot because you have a pretty nice Jordan card yourself. I think that's the, the criteria. Have one nice Jordan card and you're in. Plus, you know, good thoughts on the hobby. Yeah, for sure. But it's been a, it's been a fun, it's been a fun, it's a fun chat because topics pop up unannounced. Uh, they can go north or south. You never know where they're going to go. Um, but it's, it's fun to be a part of like a micro group within the community. Yeah. Especially considering like, um, you know, I haven't met anyone. Um, you know, hopefully I can, you know, meet you in person one day and Chris and the rest of the crew and, you know, all the other great collectors out there, hopefully at the national this year. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's fun. It's fun to, it's fun to be a part of and, you know, almost feels privileged in a way. Yeah. Are you, are you going to be at the national in Atlantic city? The plan is to go there. I just got to cross off the dates as soon as we hang up, make sure. (laughs) are you gonna be there yeah i'll be there i gotta start looking at hotels and stuff nice yeah 
that's a that's gonna be a fun show i think it feels like each year i don't know if it's just like me and, and the community and stuff but i just feel like each year national kind of just gets like bigger and better and we just keep adding more people and uh i just i keep seeing like more people join the hobby and and adding to the, the content and i don't see that many people leaving so it's just kind of getting better every year yeah and i think you know the more content um you guys put out and the, you know the more we become interconnected you're going to bring out more shadow collectors like myself where i don't typically show off cards um even though i'd like to be involved in the uh you know the hobby and i have like a separate account for my car even though like the jordan chat that we're in that's not where i show off cards it's it's that's a separate account um you know but you know just keep you know you guys are incredible keep doing what you're doing it's 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 great for you know for everybody as a whole it really is all right mike well i, I really appreciate the chat this is fun um i'll post the link to that blowout forums and then i want your instagram handle so we'll post that to the youtube channel and people can look at some cards and stuff cool all right man take it easy yeah thanks josh appreciate it